How's everybody doing this morning? Asleep? So good. That's what I like to hear. Welcome this morning to One Hope Church. It's great to see everybody. See a few new faces around this morning. It's good to have everybody here. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Hope everybody has enjoyed their Mother's Day thus far and will be a good one. Uh, I pray for the rest of the day. Today we will be looking in Luke chapter 21. We're continuing our study through the book of Luke, and we're heading here into the, we're into the passion narrative already, the week of, uh, of the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, but that doesn't tie much into Mother's Day at all, does it? I was trying to think of a smooth uh, time for Mother's Day, and today we're going to be talking about end times, which is not a, exactly a smooth transition. I know some days at our house when the kids are going crazy, it feels like maybe the end, of the, end is coming near, but... Uh, there's not a smooth transition for Mother's Day, but I hope for all the mothers in here that you have a wonderful and blessed day. So the first question is, I always ask it every time I get up here, because I don't speak that often here. Derek, why the heck are you teaching today? You know, Chet's sitting back there. There's at least two or three other people in this room that are much more talented speakers than I am. So why is it as a church that we decide to have different people come up here on Sunday? Um, and it's not, it's not an accident. We do it on purpose, not because I'm, uh, because I'm like all excited that I get to teach today, which I am excited, but that's not the reason. Um, I think sometimes in church we do things that send the wrong message, not because we want to, it's just because things, how things are always done. And really part of, the, part of how we do church, part of the method is the message. And we don't want there to, you guys to think in, a, in this group that, that there's a difference between people that are professional uh, church people, like the ministers, and then there's the laity and everybody else that comes in and pays you know, a little bit into the giving box and are getting something from the church. And man, I learned a lot today, and I, I, I paid and, and got something for it. We are the church of Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are part of the church, and you are part of his family. You are part of the mission to reach, uh, to reach the nations. Peter said here in First uh, Peter 2.5, You also, as living stones, being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual and acceptable sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So we are a spiritual household, the church is. We are a holy priesthood. That involves all of us. Peter continues, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So we're talking about, we're talking here not about when we're saying a holy nation, that sounds funny, because this is talking about the global church all around. We've got brothers and sisters this morning that are worshiping in Mexico. You've probably got relatives and distant family spread out over the globe, and people that are coming together this morning that are worshiping Christ are a holy priesthood, a holy nation. Um, so when you're getting your shoes, you're tying your shoes this morning, and I don't often wear a tie. You know, somebody said, well, Derek's speaking this morning, he wore a tie. <laughs> um, but you didn't know when you're getting ready that you're putting on your priestly garments to come before to come uh, in with with your group today to worship the Lord. Uh, but remember, you know God doesn't look on the outward appearance; He looks on the heart. So I say that to encourage you: this when you're getting ready to come to to our services, whether that's our small group, whether that's here uh, together when we worship the Lord, you know, we, you know, you want, don't want to come looking as completely disheveled. But that's not the main point. You want to have your heart ready. So when you're preparing in the mornings on Sunday morning, really think, Lord, pray. Pray, pray the Lord beforehand. You know, I'm coming to offer up spiritual sacrifices as a priest before God with my family, this holy nation. 
Uh, prepare your heart. That's what we bring. You know, we, we can bring things on the outside which don't matter that much, but what we bring on the inside matters, matters more than anything. So um, when somebody asks you today, what did you do on Mother's Day? Your reply can be, oh, well, I met in the basement just north of town with 25 priests. And they'll be like, what? And he's like, no, no, we're, we're the church, and we do, we do the work of the, of, the, of the ministry. That's who we are. So uh, let's go ahead and pray before we get into our text this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning that we have to come and to look into your word. And it is a privilege to have the words of Jesus before us. We thank you for having them here for us. And we want to study what you have for us, and we want to live the lives that you have for us. A lot of times we get our own ideas, even myself, of what, a, what the perfect Christian life looks like, and we chase after those things. But we want to chase after you, and we want to be about the work that you have for us. So I pray that you would teach us this morning, make us moldable as vessels that you can use for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so before we read the text, we've got a pretty long text this morning. Just to tell a quick story, uh, how many people in here have seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Pretty, like everybody? It was, kind of, it was kind of a big deal, if anybody remembers. And I think, I know because I'm married to one, do we have some nerds in this, uh, we have some nerds in here that read the entire, you know, read all the books before going and see the movie? Yes, that's awesome. I didn't because I don't have that type of uh, nerd cred yet, I'm working on it. But I remember hearing about the Lord of the Rings and it was going to be this huge deal and it was going to be huge. There's going to be three movies, and I heard people kind of talk about it, so I kind of know what's going to happen. I'm all excited because all my friends are really big into this, so I go to watch the movie. And everybody remembers, everybody knows what happens, uh, but to break it down really simply, some spoiler alerts if nobody's ever seen Lord of the Rings. This is one, one hobbit um, gets a ring, and this ring is, uh, is an evil ring, and the enemy wants it. And if the enemy gets the ring, pretty much the world is over. Middle Earth, the world as they know it, is, is done. And so you're cheering for this, for this hobbit, and you're hoping that he can destroy the ring. And I remember watching the first movie and being really nervous as it starts. You're like, oh, my gosh, before, he, before they even get out of the first scene, people are after him to try to kill him. They're running around. Um, and then there's these crazy, I mean, there's orcs, there's rays, all these crazy netherworld creatures coming after them. And it's like, and it's really nerve-wracking. And I remember at one point, halfway through the first movie, I was like, wait a second. I already know that at the end, because I've heard people talk about it, that this hobbit throws this ring into a, into a, or something happens and this ring gets destroyed and they win. So it's like, okay, we already know how this, how this goes down. But in the meantime, there's all these wars and you see these wars happening and you're like, man, this is frightening, but it's not that frightening. You know, this one guy that you're cheering for, Frodo, you know that he's going to be fine because at some point you're gonna, they're going to get through this movie and he's going to be in the next one and he's going to be in the next one. <laughs> and so six, you know, like however many years from now when we watch the last one, you know, we already know what, what the end is going to be. Now, today we're reading about the end times, and there's some really scary stuff in here. But the cool thing for us that are believers that have these words from Jesus, I'm so glad. For, I mean, a lot of times I'll read these verses like, well, man, that's a, that's a killjoy. But it's also really exciting to know what the end looks like. We don't have to fear it. I mean, I don't know, you know who's going out on the way and what it's going to look like while we're all perfectly. We don't have all the answers, but we can have the peace to know that everything is going to be okay. Jesus wins. Well, are we going to be okay? I don't know. What is my, was, was my life going to end beforehand? Am I going to have to suffer under persecution? Maybe, maybe not. But I don't have to fear the end because I know what the end, what the end holds. I know, what, I know what movie number three, how that, how that thing goes down. So let's keep that in mind here as we read through these verses. So let's go ahead and hop in. I'm going to read the whole text, which is a pretty big chunk, and then we'll kind of, we'll kind of breeze through it with some notes. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 21, 
in verse 5. So let's start with verse 5 and read to the end of the chapter. Then, as some uh, people spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that it shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be that these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you, see, when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. Therefore, uh, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines, and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By By your patience, possess your souls. But when... You see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her, for these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon its people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and the earth distress or nations with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of these things which are coming on earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at a fig tree and all the leaves. When they are, ready, when they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and the day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray, always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that will come to pass, and stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mount called Olivet. Then early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now I was reading there from the New King James Version. So first of all, let's just set the scene a little bit here. This is Wednesday of the Passion Narrative. So this is two days before Christ will be nailed to the tree. 
and he's telling, um, he's telling these things to his followers. You know, Jesus' followers don't have a complete understanding of what, it, what is going to happen. We have the benefit of history. He's been teaching them, um, and they're still expecting that Messiah, that the Savior will somehow reign, that he will come and take charge and throw off the, uh, the oppression uh, of, of other nations, and that Israel will be under God's rule here on earth. And that is going to happen. Uh, but, they, but Jesus is also telling them that he's going to go away. And so he's giving them this, this very difficult teaching. Uh, and these, these verses mirror, it, mirror excuse me, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. And, there's, uh, and that kind of clarifies at the beginning. We have it here at the end of this passage that he's teaching in the temple during the days this week. And then he's going out into the, the Mount of Olives to teach after, uh, after teaching in the temple. And Jesus uh, taught his followers what would happen immediately before his return uh, to set up the kingdom. And he told them of the immediate destruction here of Jerusalem also. So let's go ahead and go through these with some notes here. Uh, Verse 5, we'll go back, read 5 and 6. Then, as some of the people spoke uh, of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, talking about the temple... The days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So even when they're standing in the Mount of Olives, so they've just been down where Jesus was teaching in the temple. Now they're up here on the Mount of Olives, and they can most likely see the temple from there. Is this huge, beautiful, uh, amazing architecture. And somebody's commenting, man, that looks really pretty from here, or, 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 or something of the like. And Jesus says, yeah, the day is coming soon where it's going to be absolute rubble. There's not going to be one stone left on another. Now, this temple, if we read through Jewish history, we know there's a couple of temples that come and go. This is the third temple, known as Herod's Temple. It was commissioned by Herod the Great. They started construction around 20 B.C. It was completed around 64 A.D. It was constructed of marble and gold, and it would have been absolutely just this immense thing right here in the middle, middle of Jerusalem. It stood, you know, so it stood for essentially 90 years before being destroyed uh, by General Titus and the Roman army in A.D. 70. So what Jesus said at that time came to fruition here only a few de- decades later, later. And remember, at the moment of Jesus' death, the veil in this temple rips from top to bottom, separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And that's going to happen only two days from the time that he's speaking these words. Um, this was the temple that we hear about all through the New Testament. It was the temple that Jesus cleansed twice we read about it in John 3 and Matthew 21. Um, it was a temple that existed when the church was established in Acts chapter 2. It was also where uh, the Sanhedrin court met and part of the temple complex. It was really considered to be one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, it was really a trophy for the Jews to have this temple. And it, was a bit of a, it was a trophy for Herod, too, who commissioned it to be built to keep the Jews have them hopefully live in peace under his rule because the Jews are under Roman uh, occupation at this time. So that is the temple that is going to be absolutely uh, destroyed. So this is not exactly what, if you're, if you're looking at the Old Testament and you're a believing Jew and that things are going to be made right, the Messiah is going to come, establish God's you know, kingdom here on earth and reign right here, and you hear that the temple is going to be destroyed. That's a bit of a downer. And that's not what you want to hear. And so they ask this very appropriate question here in verse 7. So they ask him saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will it be when, we, when these things are about to take place? And in this section here, verses 8 through 36, 
Jesus provides the longest answer to any question that's recorded in the Scripture. So it is a, a bit of a long discourse, but it's the longest single answer that we have from Jesus to a question in Scriptures. And it was a good question. Um, you know, this was something that would make them very sad to hear. They want to know what will happen, and then they also want to know when is Jesus going to make it right? When will Messiah come and right, right these wrongs? In the Matthew account that's, that mirrors this account in Matthew 24, 3, there's actually an extra question from the disciples. They say, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So they're asking, too, you know, you're saying this temple is going to be destroyed, and then you're also talking about, you know, you making everything right and the Son of Man coming. How, how does that work? So when are these things going to happen? Are they happening at the same time? Jesus gives them some answers here, and it's, some very difficult passage. it's a very difficult passage, but he answers all of their questions. Um, but how can Jesus even do this? How, how's, he, how's he able to answer these questions? Amazingly, you know, Jesus both has a divine nature and a human nature. We've talked about that many times. He's not kind of per- God, but kind of person. He's, he's completely a human being, but he's also completely God in the flesh. Two distinct natures. Uh, scholars call it the hypostatic union. So you can have that as your vocabulary word for Mother's Day is hypostatic union. Um, if you ever hear somebody say that in the future and wonder what in the world they're talking about, that's what it is, that Jesus had these two distinct natures in one person. But also we know more about the person and work of Jesus Christ. We also know that he occupies three main offices of prophet, priest, and king. You know, Later we're going to, we're going to have some more music and we're going to take the bread and the cup to remember Christ's sacrifice for us and we'll remember his, that his, his kingship uh, at that time. We'll also remember um, his priestly office as he is the sacrifice for every one of us. Um, but at this point here, he's operating in his prophetic office as Jesus is telling what is going to happen at the end of time. And nobody else can do that. He can do that because he is God and he is man. Um, so he answers these difficult questions about the coming kingdom and also speaks about what's going to happen with Herod's temple being destroyed. He's not, he does not explain that there's going to be thousands of years in between, uh, and it's not completely obvious, but we've got some hindsight to help us with that. Um, but he's telling people what they need to hear. He wants the, his people, his church, his followers to be ready for him at all times. In verse 8, he says, Take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. So, so point number one, people are going to come and claim to be Christ and claim that the end is coming. I mean, this started happening a long time ago. And even in my lifetime, I've seen it happen a lot. When the very end draws near, apparently it's going to happen with very great frequency. Verse 9, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. So there will be some time in between. Verse 10 Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So number two, Jesus prophesied that wars would occur. I mean, wars had been happening before this time. Read about the Old Old Testament. There's a whole lot of wars happening. But apparently there's going to be a lot more wars. And we've got elsewhere in Scripture where wars are going to get a whole lot worse in in a very short amount of time. And then we have here in verse 11, And there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. So number three, Tremendous earthquakes, famines, pestilences. Uh, these events, you know, interestingly, are not documented at all, really, between the time of Christ's death and the fall of Jerusalem. But they're foretold elsewhere in Scripture that as things that are going to happen in the future. So, you know, Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, but some of these things that he's talking about have yet to, or don't happen in between those years. Uh, 
you know, the heavens, uh, the, the people that are hearing this may live to actually to see the d- destruction of Jerusalem, but they will not see the fulfillment of all these other signs that Jesus is talking about. But one day there will be people that will see those, and they might even be us. Verse 12, before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to uh, the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. So Jesus taught that the persecution of believers would be common. It would be not uncommon, and it would be severe. And we see this in Scripture happen immediately. Acts 2 through 4, the disciples go, uh, undergo you know, great persecution by the hands of the authorities. So this is kind of a near future and distant thing that Jesus is talking about because we read elsewhere in Scripture that during the great tribulation, those who come to Christ are going to be persecuted, and it is going to be very severe. Uh, synagogues, it mentions here synagogues and prisons, and then also it says kings and rulers. So people that believe in Jesus will be persecuted in this early time, even by there'll be Jewish persecution of the church, but there's also going to be Gentile persecution of the church. And um, I was reading, I was just curious, so I was trying to read some uh, estimations on how many martyrs there have been from the time of Jesus to now. And it's many, 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 many millions. I mean, hard to fathom that. One estimation was something like 70 million martyrs. I don't know how right that is, but the, answer, the, the thing to know is there's been a whole lot of people through history that have been killed for the name of Jesus. Um, and there will be many more to come, sadly. There's, it's happening in parts of the world even now. Verse 13, 14, and 15. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony, talking about um, this persecution. Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. I know in the past weeks, we've Chet's mentioned uh, Stephen and his account from Acts 7 quite a few, few times and kind of making some jokes about, you know, your best life now. For Stephen, his best life was to be martyred and killed for Christ. And that happened with a lot of people in, uh, in, the, in the New Testament. And not only did he get set up where he was giving you know, the gospel to these Jewish leaders, and then in the midst of that, Jesus opened up heaven so he could have this vision and be like, oh my gosh, look, it's right here. And, then, I mean, and they were already angry, so it's like Jesus kind of gave him an alley-oop to take him out. You know? And it's kind of, it was just kind of, an, it just kind of an interesting thing to, to imagine that. But also, right there in the midst of this terrible thing, this guy that, that knows Christ and is telling the truth to these people has a vision from God and is and executed right there at their hands. All the people here get to hear the truth of Christ. And Paul is standing right there, and he gets called by Christ, and he's sitting here hearing the gospel himself. And I also want, just kind of wonder and think to that time, like, I wonder how many people... There were Jewish leaders that, that that was the seed, and later different things kind of tugged at their hearts, and they came to Christ. We need to, even when we're thinking about persecution you know, over the whole world, we need to pray for those that are oppressing and doing the persecution, that they would hear the gospel, that their hearts would change. Um, that's the only way that you know, systemic change is going to happen in a place if the people that are doing the oppressing actually um, come to Christ. So let's be ready ourselves to, to give an answer. Verse 16 and 17, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's real good news. Happy Mother's Day. Um, Matthew 10, 35, uh, do not suppose 
that I, this is Jesus speaking, do not suppose that I come to bring peace on earth. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. Uh, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Yeah, not Mother's Day, not Mother's Day material here. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Man, those are some hard words. But, you know, we've known people even in our group that have had to, you know, sacrifice their good relationship with their parents to decide to follow Christ. We've had people that have chosen Christ, and that means the rest of their life, when they go back to, you know, especially when some people have gone back to their countries, that as means that they're on the outs with their entire family. You know, it's, that's, it's not an easy thing. The truth is not an easy thing. We're in a culture where you can be a Christian and be a real Christian, and nobody's be like, oh, well, you know, like, just not talk to you. It's not like, oh, my mom doesn't talk to me anymore because uh, I've decided to believe in Christ. Well, that's, it's a, that is something that's very real for people all around the world. And it might cost you some friends when you decide to fully follow Christ. It might cost you some things, but Christ is worth it. The good news is that the reward is far better than what we lose in those situations. Verses 18 and 19. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. Thank goodness. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> verse 19. By your, by your patience, possess your souls. This is pro- it's, that's a, a weird... It's also translated, we see every, elsewhere uh, in other versions, by standing firm, you will save yourselves. Now, these verses have been confused through time, and it's kind of a weird thing, so it's like, Am I earning my salvation by standing firm? Is that what it says? That kind of doesn't seem to jive with other scripture. Well, let's look at some other scripture. Uh, one that we probably all know by heart, Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's nothing that we can do to earn the salvation that Christ offers us. When it says save yourselves by standing firm, this really means that the believer shows that they are members of the believing community in opposition to those who turn away and shrink back in times of persecution. Um, in Matthew's account of this message, in verse 10 of 24, in Matthew's account it says, At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. So in the face of persecution, you know, one's true faith will be revealed. Reminds me also of Matthew 7.21, where it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. These, these are tough verses, um, and it just makes me think of, and I don't, I don't mean to say this to, to just sound incredibly judgmental or anything like that, but uh, we're all going to be judged by Christ and by His standard, not by the standard that we set up for ourselves. Or, and what we think is right doesn't ultimately matter when it comes down to what the truth is. We might have some ideas, and I'm going to have some ideas that might be wrong. But, I mean, there's, I mean, there's churches even in this town that, would, if you would say, that, would, that, don't, that have given up the gospel. Everybody comes to church, you know, they, they dress for church, they get together, they talk about Jesus, they have some encouraging things that people say. They do a lot of good stuff. They'll give to the poor. They have good reputation in the community of being decent folks. But when it comes down to it, you're like, so how, if you were to tell and you asked them, you know, how, how are you getting to heaven? Well, I'm a good person, you know. 
And that's not the gospel. They've already, and some people already have given up the gospel. And there's people that would latch on or, or, or be part of a community because, man, these are my friends. My, my mom's a Christian. My dad's a Christian. I've always gone to church. But in them, there's no real change in the faith. They might, they might be in a culture but not have a real faith in Christ. And when, the, when opposition comes and it's, well, do you believe this or are you going to spend time in jail tonight? That was going to reveal who the real believers are. And so this is not saying in these verses that actual holding firm, like your actual action is, is seeing you through. It's, this is going to reveal whose faith is real and whose faith is not real. So let's all be prepared to stand when persecution comes. In verses 20 through 24, Jesus kind of turns to the, disciple, to the disciples' original question of when the temple will be destroyed, because he's very explicit here in these four verses, these five verses. But when you see, verse 20 again, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon its people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So this would have to be something that's kind of heart-wrenching, especially if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your home. You know, you live not far from the temple and this place is going to be destroyed. And Jesus says, when you see these things coming to pass, get out of town, you know, run, because it's going it's to be, be horrible. He actually really offers... The church that will come together once once he ascends to heaven, he, they have this these instructions, and when hopefully and, and hopefully a lot of those believers followed his his prophecy here. And when things happened in AD seventy and, and the and Jerusalem was ransacked, hopefully they made it and people made it out. And it says this interesting phrase until the time of the Gentiles were fulfilled, um, talking about this domination really over. Jerusalem, the time of the Gentiles kind of started way before this time. If we remember in the Old Testament about the Babylonian captivity in 586, um, and the and Jews were were sent out all over the place because they were because Jerusalem was completely dominated at the time that Jesus is prophesying. Jerusalem is under control of Rome. In a few short decades after this, um, they'll be completely wiped out. The temple here is going to be completely wiped out um, by, as we said, by Titus and the Roman army. And then in the future, too, as we read when the tribulation happens, that it will once again be dominated by the Gentiles until Messiah returns to restore Jerusalem. So there's going to be, um, they've, they've suffered a lot and will continue to. Jesus gives a warning to flee when, he, when you see these things. Get out, don't hang around. Um, and now, the interesting thing is we really have reason to believe all of Jesus' prophecy, because if he gave this really long answer uh, before he was even crucified, and some of it we can look back and say, well, that was absolutely true, but some of it hasn't happened yet. We've got good reason to believe everything that he says. 
And then we have a bit of a change here in verses 25 through 28 that doesn't seem to be talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. It says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectations of things which are coming on the earth, for the power of the heavens will be shaken." Now, this is talking about something happening against the earth, not just destruction of Jerusalem. And then, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up, lift your heads, because your redemption draws near. Jesus wins, is, is, is what happens there. And Jesus here first noted that cosmic signs will precede the Son of Man's return and will cause people to be absolutely terrified. The world will be in an absolutely chaotic state and seemingly out of control. Uh, secondly, the Son of Man will come with clouds and glory. And Jesus draws his terminology here like Son of Man. It's a weird terminology. We see it a lot elsewhere in Scripture, but we see it also in prophecy when we look in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, which, which says, uh, I was watching in the night visions, and behold... One like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came and came to the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His uh, dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So we see what Jesus is saying here in Luke that we're reading is mirroring the things that are going to happen when Daniel writes. And this phrase, the son of man, is something that the Jewish mind would have been well, uh, well acquainted with. And I also love in verse 28 when it says, uh, you know, talking about in the midst of all these terrible things happening, lift up your head for your redemption draws near. Now I think with that it's talking about the worst of the worst that's happening uh, when we're talking about the tribulation, but just in general, it's, I'm, I was just, I've, it's just some, it's just some verses that are encouraging to me. Because I mean, sometimes things in life, you feel like you're holding it, things are going well, you drop it, and it all goes to pieces. I think we've all had the dark night of the soul where you're looking down, kind of at the mess you've made, and as much as you want to try to fix things, you just can't. But in those darkest times, you know, look up, look to Christ. He's the one that can fix those things. I know that's completely separate from the context of what we're, what we're doing here, but I just love those words when he says, Lift up your head, for your, redemption, your redemption draws near. We have the parable of the fig tree here in, in verse 29 uh, that ties into what Jesus is saying. Then he spoke to them in a parable, Look at the fig tree and all the leaves. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So we can tell what's coming by the signs. Uh, you can tell that summer is coming close because the fig tree is budding. Verse 31, so you also, when you see these things happen, know that the kingdom of God is near. So when these cataclysmic events uh, happen, the people of God will know that the, that the end is imminent. And it's kind of ironic, too. It's interesting because Jesus is, is teaching these things. He's standing here on a hill teaching these things about the very end of time when all things are going to be when all things are going to be righted all wrongs will be righted and the Jewish leadership is down here maybe in the temple or maybe somewhere else getting together at the same time figuring out how they're going to finally do this guy in that says he's from God and they have decided they have decided 
without any question that this guy, Jesus, who's teaching these things, is definitely not God. And we've got to do something about it because he is leading the people astray or we just don't like him, don't like what he says about us. So they're plotting. There's a a group of leaders and people that are well-versed in the Old Testament and religious law that have decided that Jesus is not from God, and they are actively figuring out at at that moment how they're going to do him in. And Jesus is up here on a hill telling his followers what's going to happen at the end of the age because he is God and he can know those things. Just, man, what a... What a juxtaposition. Verse 32, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, this is a very, this is a difficult passage that has led to all kind of confusion and trouble throughout time. And without going into all the different trouble it's caused, um, some people look at this and say that Jesus is referring to the destruction of the temple because this generation is, he's obviously talking about the people right in front of him, people would say. So he's only talking about the, the destruction of the temple. He's not talking about those other things. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think to me, when, when I read it, the thing that what makes most sense to me is when he's saying you, this generation, he's talking about the you in verse 31, that when you see these things happen, talking about these worst types of cataclysms and the people that, because he says that you will see the Son of Man coming. When he's talking about you, uh, that when he's saying this, uh, uh, when he's saying that this generation will not, will by no means pass away till all these things take place. He's talking about the generation that sees all of those things happening. And when we see, when we look in Revelation, and we'll see through, from chapter six through sixteen, there's a whole bunch of things that are going to happen that are going to be really bad, and they're going to happen really quick. Now we've seen some earthquakes and we've seen some bad things, but. I mean, for example, when I go through all, all the whole you know, book of Revelation, but a fourth of the world's population will die due to plagues. We haven't had anything like even remotely like that happen. Um, a third of sea life will, uh, will die. The moon will be darkened. The sun and the moon will be darkened. Uh, there's going to be all these horrible things. And if you look at it, we talks about the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls. And it seems like all these things are going to happen very fast and get worse really quick towards the end. So the generation that's alive that's going to see those things are going to see Christ come as well. And in in my mind, that's what makes the most sense when I read it, when he's saying that the generation that sees these things, it's not going to be, there's not going to be any question when it happens. And I love the verse that comes after this. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away, which is an interesting thing to write. You know, why why is this important? I think because we have these words written and at the time, people that were experiencing what Jesus was saying get to experience some of the prophecy that he's saying. They're going to see the destruction of the temple, and they're going to know to run and get out. But not everybody that's right there is going to experience the worst of the worst and the coming of Jesus. But by no means are his words going to pass away, because when that day comes and these things are happening, um, people will, ha- will look at Scripture and be like, e- uh, yeah, <laughs> we got kind of an outline of things that are happening, and this makes sense. And it's going to be horrible and horrific in the worst, you know, the worst period of time at, ever at any point in human history. But the good thing is it will be, even though it will be horrible, it will be relatively short that one generation is going to experience it. Um, now, it's interesting, too, like there's no mention of the rapture here. And that's, I don't think that's, um, I know different people, even, even in our number, different people have different uh, opinions on the rapture and different things. I, in my mind, I'm not going to get into a whole treatise on it. I, I, I'm kind of of the opinion um, from other things in Scripture that, that the believers in Christ 
won't be experiencing the worst of the worst when it comes to that. Just because how I read scripture, that makes the most sense to me. I'm not willing to stake my life on it, but that's, that's how I read scripture. But the ones that are left that come to Christ are going to have this word that never passes away and will, be able to, and will know uh, the signs of the times when it comes. Um, but we need to be ready nonetheless. Verse 34, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with uh, carousing drunkenness and cares of this life, and the day come on you unexpectedly. Um, and so Jesus' warning is a good warning because as human beings, we can tend to worry about, I mean, I know for myself, job, kids, life. I mean, so many things happen, and what really matters, uh, the main thing can take a back seat easily just because uh, we have, I think we can tend to get in routines and those types of things. And if we don't have Christ as our focus, any one of us are susceptible to falling into sin and to, and to not, and, and, and especially for those whose faith isn't, hasn't, isn't real yet, that they're still pushing, like they're going to fall away if they don't actually have that, that real faith. So let's not be weighed down with sin and those types of things and let those things preoccupy our mind. For Verse 35, For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. How does a snare work? Snare doesn't work if you see it coming from a mile away. It's like, oh, there's a snare. I'm going to walk into that trap. Snare only works when you don't see it and all of a sudden you're trapped. But that's how the end's going to come. So we'll see things get worse and worse. But all the stuff that's going to be really bad, it's not going to be, I mean, it's going to be quick. It's going to be a fast thing. It's going to be a snare especially for those that don't, that don't know how to read the signs of the times. Verse 36, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So we're to watch, to pray, to take heed, to be careful. Verse 37 well, and, and all this, you know, Jesus is giving these teachings for people to be ready, and we need to be ready, because we don't know. I don't know. Are we going to be raptured tomorrow? I don't know. <laughs> um, who needs to hear the good news before all these things happen? Everybody I know. What, am I, what part am I doing? Are we living lives that are serious about the gospel? Or are we just uh, waiting for the end to happen? Uh, we, need to be, we need to watch and pray and be ready. Verse 37 uh, in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and, and, um, and stayed on the Mount of Olives. And then in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. So, same type of, like as we were saying before, in the days times, he was teaching there in the temple, uh, and, and, the, and then after that, he was going out to Mount of Olives. Same Mount of Olives, uh, where the, the Garden of Gethsemane is there at the bottom, and he'll be there uh, shortly after that when Judas betrays him. And next week we're going to read about the Last Supper. So these are very solemn verses, but you know, what do we, we've read all this, and we've got all this prophecy, and I know it's, a lot, it's, you know, it's confusing stuff, and even myself, I don't know how, what to think about it sometimes, but what, what things should we take from this? I mean, num- number one, I would say, don't panic hope in Christ. That's why he's giving them this information. You know, if our economy collapses tomorrow, okay. You know, I don't think that either one of our uh, potential or any of the potential people that are going to be president anytime soon are going to, you know, make this this just like a much better place to live. We can't put our hope in politicians and the economy. We can't put our hope in those things. You know, hopefully there'll be good days ahead. But what if not? You know, what if uh, 
you know, what if things get really bad, really, really quick? What if my kid? I mean, I mean, I've got kids that, man, I want them to go to college. I want them to get an education. I want them to um, experience the good life. But what if things get really bad and they're in a situation where they can't get a job, where there's rampant unemployment, where things get a lot worse and people have a lot less, and where people have an in, you know, animosity towards people that, I mean, a real animosity towards people that believe in Jesus. You know, what are, what are Salem and Naomi going to do? How are they going to live in that world? You know, we all need to be people that are, that are comfortable with, with living with a little or living with a lot and using it for Christ. And those things can't scare us because we're going to live differently if we understand, you know, we, we understand the kingdom of God. We need to be living for the kingdom of God and not our own kingdoms. So number one, don't panic. You know, hope in Christ. Number two, persevere in persecution. Um, so I don't think any of us have probably had to deal with a whole lot of persecution, but I'm hoping that we're the type that are ready, that our hearts are ready, that when it happens, we're not people that are offended by persecution. That's not like the, we're up, I'm being persecuted. No, we need to use that as as a chance to share the gospel, even in the midst of persecution. That's that we should have, you know, not that we are like, yay, persecution, let's all, you know, let's all be persecuted, but let's be ready in our hearts now that, you know, if I get fired from my job, because of because of my I take a stand for Christ, man, that'd be rough. Because I don't know what the heck we do, but how can I use that? How can we be ready now to use that for something for Christ? How can we? How, how we want to be ready even before that happens? That Christ is the main thing, and that we're not putting our our faith in our comforts and in our jobs and in the things that we can control. We need to be putting our faith in Christ. So don't panic. Persevere. Number three, be ready. Be ready for the end. Um, the, the good thing is, like like Frodo, you know, Frodo made it. We know we know what chat, you know, we know what movie, how the third movie ends. We know from what Christ told us how what's going to happen at the end. There's going to be some bad stuff um, that we or people we know maybe may experience. Um, but the good news is we know the end. So like Stephen, we need to you know we need to be ready to share and not be afraid. When Stephen, when Stephen was standing up, he was telling the truth. In love, his life was taken right there, but he was not afraid. And hopefully none of us will have to endure anything that terrible in our lifetimes. But, you know, we don't know. We just, we really don't. Um, and um, I, I, th- I think, too, I mean, just for me, man, I, I can, it's, it's so easy. It's so easy just to get used to, it's so easy to get used to life, To like I was saying before, to Put your faith in your job. I got a really steady job. I would have to do something really horrible to get fired from my job. So, I've, I mean, that's just something I don't even worry about. There's all these things I don't worry about. So I've never really had to worry much. And so I have, I'm in this situation where I'm a, I'm a believer and I have to trust in Christ and I have this life that I say is all about Christ. But I don't have anything I really have to worry about. What if it was a thing where I don't know where I'm going to feed my family? What if it was a thing where, you know, where a lot of the comforts that I have are taken away and I have to, and I have to stand in Christ? You know, I've never had to do that. How would, how would I do if it came to persecution? And I really don't know. Um, and and I don't, I don't want to say that for us to all, like, you know, think that we need to be living that, you know, that we need these hard things to make us uh, better Christians or something like that. But I think there's a lot of areas in our lives, mine in particular, where I'm not stepping out in faith where I have to trust in Jesus. And I think a lot of that with relationships with people I know either at work People I know in the community where, I, where you know, am I, re- am I listening to the Lord where it's like, you know, go serve this person in this way or go tell this person this? Am I, am I listening to those things that take a lot of faith to step out and do? Um, 
you know, I hope, I, I want more of that in my life, and I want more of that for you guys too, where we're willing to listen to what Jesus has for us to do. Something that's not comfortable. Somebody else in town, think of the dude in town that's, I don't think God always sends us to the hardest case, like the person that you can deal with the least, but think about the person that, that's most different from you that you would have the hardest time understanding and getting along with. Would you be willing to bring that person into your house and have dinner? You know, like that person is so different socioeconomically, uh, how they look different, they act different. I just don't understand that person. Are you, are you willing to reach that person? I think, you know, I think Jesus would have us be people that would do that. And there's a lot of questions I have for myself when I read these about how strong my faith is. And I, I would just encourage us to this week, not, not to beat up ourselves. I don't want us to be people that are always beating ourselves up because, oh, man, my faith's just not good enough. But reading these words of Christ, I would just pray that each one of us this week would take some time to pray. It's like, Lord, how can I trust you more? In what way in my life? Is that my finances where I need to trust you more? You know, is that in my relationships? Do you want me to take a step forward in this area to share the gospel with somebody that I, I know I should, I just don't want to? Um, what is that area where we need to step out in faith? And I, I just pray that we would each take some time this week. In light of these verses, because we know how it ends, so we don't have to be worried, but in light of these verses, how can we, how can we step out in faith more in our lives? I just want to encourage you with these words this morning. I know that was a lot. Man, that was a big chapter. Happy Mother's Day. Um, at this time, though, we're going to have a bit of open time. And um, what that is, we're going to sing some songs. Uh, anybody that knows Christ, you're invited to, to take the bread into the cup to remember his sacrifice for us. Also during this time, you know, if you have a song that you want us to sing, feel free to request it. Um, if you have something uh, that you want to say, if you have a testimony, please give it. Also, if there's something that you, that, that you feel like you want to teach, we just ask that you be somebody that that knows us and we know you, so we're on the same page with those types of things. But we want everything here to really be geared towards Christ in this particular time um, that we're remembering Him and what He did. That's the reason that we come together. That's the reason that we can celebrate. I mean, we have no reason to come together on Sundays if Christ didn't, wasn't our sacrifice. But because He is and He's, he's, he's raised to life, we have, reason, um, we have reason to come and to celebrate and to remember Him. But you can't remember Him if you don't know Him. So maybe this, morning, uh, maybe this morning you're thinking, man, I've been around church a lot, or maybe you haven't, and, um, and the Lord's been tugging on your heart. Maybe there's something, in, you know, something inside that you know God's been pulling at you. Man, I know I've felt that tug, but I haven't said, okay, Lord, here, have it all. You can do that even this morning. So I pray that you would. And once you do know him and, and, and put your faith in Christ, that he is um, your only hope of salvation, then you can come and, and remember him by taking the bread and the cup. So let's take some time now.